Hey, Andy Brownell, News Talk 1340, KROCAM and 96.9 FM. And today we are with Bill Warner from the Minnesota News Network. Good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning. It's great to be with you. It's been a while, but now we're <laughs> we're busy well, at the Capitol for sure. And actually, the way things have gone, we're probably overdue for a chat because I do not ever remember a legislative session starting with this much activity this quickly. <laughs> Yeah, they've, you know, they may, they might have had one or two when they started in bonding years, right? Uh, and they would then, they then start in a little later in February generally, right? And so they have a shorter timeline. But in terms of starting full speed with a, with a long session, longer session like this, right, that starts in January and so many really controversial issues on their agenda, this, this went from, you know, I was thinking it was like, I don't know, evil Knievel or something, like that. <laughs> you know, going from zero to 180 in three seconds or, or something like that. And it, it, they really got going fast this year. There's no question about that. Did they actually have hearings on the first day or was it just the day after the swearing in ceremonies? Yeah, day after the swearing in. Yeah, they were well, within a day or two. They, they actually started hearings and and they that's not so unusual in and of itself because they will often do committee introductions. Here's a background of human services. Here's a background of education laying the foundation uh, for lawmakers to uh, to then make some policy decisions, particularly ones uh, freshmen and also uh, lawmakers who are new on policy committees, right? Someone who is his first year on the, on the education committee or first year on the judiciary or whatever, complex areas. So that's not so unusual in and of itself. But going into some of the a highly controversial issue, the abortion issue, right out of the chute, uh, pretty unusual. Uh, I won't say it's unprecedented, but uh, but it doesn't happen a lot. All right. Well, we might as well confront that issue right away. As long, it as, appears, as, long as we brought it up, right. It right. appears that it, yet this week we could have a vote in the House. In the House, possibly, right. So, what exactly does this bill say? I mean, we've heard that it, that it legalizes abortion in the state of Minnesota, but abortion in the state of Minnesota is already legal. Yeah, yeah. Well, and what it does, and I don't have the exact language of the bill in front of me, um, but uh, to encapsulate, let me let me back up just a, a bit because okay. what you say is is co- correct that abortion is legal in the state of Minnesota, and I, I want to back up even beyond Minnesota, which is to the national scene, which is Roe v. Wade, the 1973 United States Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion under. 14th Amendment to the Constitution, equal protection under the laws and, and, and other legal rationale. And as we all know, last June, uh, the current United States Supreme Court overturned that and left then the decision on whether abortion is, is legal or not to the individual states. Now, Minnesota already had a, um, a court ruling, a Minnesota Supreme Court ruling, in a case back from 1995 called Doe v. Gomez. I remember when that decision came down. I hadn't had too many years under my belt at the Capitol when that when they were wrangling with that one. And that had to do with uh, coverage of abortions, uh, uh, state picking up the cost of abortions for low-income women. 
um, and essentially, what the Minnesota Supreme Court did was it it it, it ruled in a in a Roe-esque way um, uh, on the uh, uh, on that particular issue and established a a a precedent, a legal precedent uh, via Supreme Court, Minnesota Supreme Court ruling, very similar to Roe v. Wade, except for Minnesota, and that remains in effect. Now. Uh, the push at the legislature is to enshrine that to in state law uh, that basically says that uh, that a woman has a right to, to make this decision um, and to place that in in Minnesota statute uh, and the reason that that is being done and you know we're not supposed to talk about motivations but you don't have to read too far between the lines to know, and certainly enough lawmakers have alluded to it, and, well, certainly enough people uh, who uh, are in support of this measure have alluded to it. Uh, The reason is insurance. Um, And and one lawmaker actually used the term uh, rogue court, and insurance basically against a rogue court, uh, meaning a a future Minnesota Supreme Court uh, that... uh, could potentially overturn Doe v. Gomez, just as the United States Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Now, the composition of the court isn't like that now. The composition of the Minnesota Supreme Court, it doesn't seem to be trending that way, given that we have a Democratic governor, right? Uh, and if there are vacancies, then the governor gets to a point, and then they go to election after that. But, you know, once you get the, the justice in office, it's pretty difficult to remove. Uh, and so, but 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 the but the fear is that the political winds blow the other way at some point, and therefore there needs to be a backstop, uh, and hence have it into state law. Uh, I hope this is making sense. It's, it is. It's, it's pretty. It's it's pretty complex and convoluted. Some of it's convoluted too. Um, and then there is an issue of um, whether, in fact, there should be a constitutional amendment. Um, interesting discussion on that um that's a little bit more gutsy even because then you don't have a legislature that is um at least the way the leaders uh uh, say it is is that it is a pro-choice legislature you know we can talk a little bit more about whether it is or not all right, but uh, that, then you're not leaving the decision to to the legislature. Ultimately, you're you're leaving it to the voters, right? And so, whether a constitutional amendment moves forward, uh, I, I'm very interested to see whether that happens this legislative session. I'm not 100 uh, percent sure on, on on whether that's going to happen or not. But I've let me ask been you, wrong before. Let me ask you this, Bill. Um, if is codified in the law as this bill would do. Right, right. Would there be a path for a future Supreme Court to strike down this law? Well, you know that's a that's a very penetrating question there, Andy. And um, there always is is a, is a a legal path. It would just depend on what type of case came forward that might test that. You see. So, no, it doesn't preclude that. A constitutional amendment is a much more, is a much stronger prescription, right? Or it's a much stronger mandate than statute. Uh, so that would conceivably would be a better insurance policy. Um, 
But no, a, a future court could potentially make a ruling that would that would weaken a, a, even even a statute uh, putting abortion rights into Minnesota law. And I yeah, that's pull, not outside the realm of possibility. And I personally don't see this happening, at least the way the state of Minnesota is today. And I suspect it will be for a long time. But the state legislature could just reverse this law as well. That's true. Yeah. Although that's always a, a more difficult thing to do. So sometimes that's a more difficult thing to do than enacting a law. Okay. It, it depends. Although, well, this particular issue, maybe not. Um, and so I, I think, you know, the, the whole issue here, and, and we kind of talked about it offline here before we started, um, is what is the will of the people on this, right? Uh, what is public opinion on this? And... You know, that's a question that a lot of people are debating, and there are some political futures that are hanging on that, <laughs> too. I mean, the Democrats are, you know, if they call this wrong, there could be some repercussions, I would think. So, in other words, if they perhaps overreached on the issue. Uh, and the reason I ask that is because there's a lot of discussion within the committees Yes. Um, as this bill has advanced towards a floor vote on what what happens to restrictions that have been put in place in the state of Minnesota right. in the past. That's right. And there's two areas that have really come out as, as very prominent in this debate. And they, they've hit, with, in terms of the, the debate, like a, like a ton of bricks. And one of them is the, is the issue of, of regulations that you're talking about. Um, and, and let me just defer on that a minute. To one that is perhaps um, even even more prominent, uh, and that is that the opponents of this bill say that it allows abortion up to the moment of birth, um, and it does. There's no way around that. Um, uh, saying an opinion on it one way or the other, it's just the way it is. Um, now, the the supporters of this bill say that late-term abortions are exceedingly rare. Uh, They're almost always done uh, for, to, to save the life of the mother uh, or to preserve the health of the mother. Um, that aside, the opponents say yes, but 99.9% is not 100%, basically. You know? So that, that's one that is out there. Um, one... Along that same line, uh, a, when, the, when the Senate had it in its, in its first committee, um, and they lagged the House just a little bit on it. The House moved it through a couple of committees before the Senate took it up in, a, in committee. Um, one of the amendments that, that made the biggest impression on me as a reporter um, was uh, Anoka Senator Jim Abler, a Republican, I think, I dare say a moderate Republican, uh, proposed an amendment that said after 20 weeks, in other words, third trimester, um, uh, that uh, a doctor would, with, with the approval of the woman, of course, the woman would have, would have to agree to this, that the doctor would need to give an anesthetic to the fetus uh, to um, alleviate the fetus's pain uh, at the point of abortion. That one was voted down um, along party lines, I believe. Um, and it, it kind of tells you 
how emotional this debate is. It, it's yeah. It's, I mean, I, I'm not. Well, it has been since Roe v. Wade. It's been this emotional. That's right. This is this is the defining the most fiercely fought battle, political battle of our time. I think. Okay, is, is the is the abortion issue? I don't think I'm overstating that. Um, no, I don't think you are either. And along those lines, Bill, um, do the Democrats have enough votes to pass this legislation in both the House and the Senate? We're going to see. <laughs> um, I know that there are some Democrats in the Minnesota House. There's, there's at least one I know. I'm not going to mention the name, uh, but a prominent Democrat. Um, who has, has indicated, I, I understand uh, to the Speaker of the House that, that this person's vote will be a no vote. Um, whether there are others, I mean, they have a little bit of a margin, right, uh, there. Um, we'll see. In the Senate, they haven't got anything to play with at all. I mean, they have a one-vote margin. They have, to, they have to have 100% caucus discipline on this, Democrats, in order to pass this bill off the floor of the Minnesota Senate. And if, if one person wavers, they haven't got the votes, votes to pass it. And we may find that out yet this week. We, we may find that out in the House, and then after this, we'll, we'll see how soon the Senate takes it up after that if the House indeed does pass the bill. Goodness, uh, okay. Yeah, the leaders say that this is a pro-choice Minnesota legislature, that they have the votes. All right, that's fine. Proof, and I'm not saying anybody's lying. <laughs> All right, okay. It, it's a it's a question of well, what people are counting votes, and all right, and they count them one way, and and but the final count is when the vote is taken, and we we'll, we will see what happens. All right, we do have to take a break already. I can't believe it, but Bill Werner is with us from the Minnesota News Network. We're catching up on what's happening in St. Paul. And we'll be back in a moment on News Talk 1340 AM and 96.9 FM. This week on Good Money Moves, Jane Bill Werner from the Minnesota News Network joining us. I'm Andy Brownell on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Bill, the other issue that's getting a lot of attention in the first weeks of this session, uh, not at all a surprise considering all the discussion last year is... Marijuana, legalized marijuana. Yes, indeed. And we're talking about recreational marijuana uh, as opposed to medical marijuana, which is already legal in Minnesota for a certain list of specified conditions that get periodically evaluated and updated and extended. They have historically now. But this is recreational marijuana. And uh, it's a very complicated topic. Um, The bill had its first committee in the Minnesota House and passed out. But... It's it's got a lot of committee stops. I I, I heard a, a number like a dozen or something. I don't know if that's correct or, or not, but but it's a good number of committee stops in any event. It has about two hundred fifty pages in the bill, but the basics of it are: uh, Minnesotans twenty one or older could buy limited amounts of cannabis products and possess them in public spaces. Plus, they could have up to five pounds of cannabis flower at home and a small number of plants, actual growing plants, with certain restrictions there. Um, There also is a licensing provision in there. Growers, processors, retailers, other cannabis businesses would be licensed. Um, And then 
another aspect of the bill has to do with criminal justice. Uh, it, we're talking about expungement of, uh, of, exist, of previous convictions. It's, the, the authors of this bill estimate that it would allow about 60,000 Minnesotans with low-level marijuana convictions to have their criminal records sealed. All right, So in other words, those are off the record. And those with felonies could appeal to a special expungement board that would handle these types of cases. Uh, so there, there you have the, the criminal justice aspect of it. You also have um, some labor and industry issues. Uh, employers for, for many jobs, not all jobs, but for, for many jobs, employers would no longer be allowed to test workers for THC. They could still have policies in place on on-the-job use, and tests could be conducted if they, there's a suspicion of a violation of policy or if there's an accident. But, uh, uh, but that, that would change fairly significantly. Uh, and then there are questions about public safety. In fact, do you have people in a state of impairment on the roads? Um, and what it would do is set up what the uh, backers call an oral fluid roadside test, a pilot program to determine whether a driver is impaired. But that's a lot more difficult than with alcohol because THC can persist in the body for weeks, right? It's, it doesn't, doesn't get uh, flushed out, I guess you would say, as, uh, nearly as quickly as, as alcohol does. So you, you can see <laughs> how many different, uh, you know, I just kind of did the laundry list there, right, of well, some of the major uh, provisions of the bill. There's a lot of things, and that's why it's going through so many committees, and that's then there are people that are going to be in favor and people that are going to be against it at every one of these stops. Uh, and so it's going to be an interesting debate. Well, a couple things stood out to me when you yeah. read that list. Five pounds of marijuana is a lot of marijuana. Yeah, cannabis flower, yeah. And that's usually what would be considered a, an amount that law enforcement would consider de facto evidence of distribution. Yeah, that's you, you raise a, a very valid point and one that is, that is going to be touched upon. No question about that. Um, and might there be adjustments in that area? You know, that remains to be seen. But yes, that is that is correct. That is that that would be perceived by some as 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 uh, as a distribution mode, right? And and the other aspect of this that I imagine is going to spark a lot of debate is the workplace issues. Yes. If I'm a a warehouse operator with people with forklifts. And you're arguing that I can't do random testing. Um, I'm putting uh, potentially people at risk. Yeah, and, and, and some of those jobs, you know, that are that are high, that are high risk jobs. Uh, cer certainly, emergent, uh, certainly uh, emergency response personnel, first responders. Okay, brain surgeons. That, that would be a different. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you know, all those areas are are areas that are going to be open to debate, um, and. Um, and then we get into the public safety issue, right? Um, in fact, um, is a driver a driver involved in a crash um, evidence of um, of marijuana or cannabis use? Um, is that person impaired or not? It's fairly easy to tell with alcohol, yeah, but much more difficult with cannabis than with marijuana. Oh, good. so once again, uh, do you have any opinion as to whether there are enough votes out there to this have one, a this one is real tough because it's so to to even make a judgment. 
on at this point because the bill is so complex and there's so many opportunities for metamorphosis <laughs> between now and and assuming there's a vote in the house and the senate floor um and i have to assume that given the complexity of this bill that it's, it's going to take quite a while to move through the process and at each step there are going to be adjustments and then we're going to get a better idea of in fact what is the level of support or people i'm sure are just saying okay to get enough votes we have to do this that and the other thing how much of this is a negotiating position right sure i have to assume that that this is that this is a a um, um, a starting point that is probably more than what the uh, uh backers of the bill expect that they'll eventually get so uh, uh, Governor Walz's prediction of legalized recreational marijuana by maybe have been a bit optimistic. Well, yeah, it's, it's tough to say. Yeah, you, you know, but I think um, I, I, it certainly is. I, I mean, there's we talked about about abortion in the last segment, and it's it's fairly clear that that the uh, the backers of that provision want to get that done very fast, maybe even by the January 22nd anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, right? Um, but but this, I think it's not realistic to uh, to be able to do it that fast. This is this is one of these things that goes pretty deep into the legislative session, I think, just because of the complexity of it. And okay. the votes are there, depends on on what the bill looks like. And there's a lot of areas where the bill can, can get metamorphosized. All right, Bill Werner with the Minnesota News Network. We have to take a break for news already. We'll return after the news break and uh, get to the meat and potatoes of what our lawmakers are supposed to be doing in St. Paul, which would be crafting the next budget. Yeah, there is, <laughs> and, there is that too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll try to get into that a little bit when we return on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. I got serious. It's true today. Andy Brownell with you on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM, along with Bill Warner with the Minnesota News Network, who has been following the state capitol I guess too many years. What do you, do you call it? The beat. <laughs> Use news jargon. The oh, beat. I guess so. Yeah, this is this is third number thirty one for me. How about that? Huh? Oh my gosh! Yeah, that is, that's so. A, the main order of business for this legislative session is the next yes. state budget. We all know about the budget surplus exceeding seventeen billion dollars. Uh, I read the latest economic revenue update. Um, from Minnesota Office of Management and Budget last week, right. And, right. and it certainly is hinting that this surplus could actually grow by the time we issue the next revenue forecast yeah, in, in, in a uh, month February, or so. In February, right. Yeah, not so, so long from now. So that makes this legislative session unique in many ways because there has never, ever been this much cash laying around. Never, never, ever. Not, not, only, not only in absolute, absolute terms, but in relative terms as well. I mean, you know, it's... <laughs> like 20 it's like half the budget the state, is it? Oh. third of the state budget yeah third, in, in terms of dollar amount yeah i mean the state budget is 50 plus billion right so figure uh um 18 <laughs> you know do do them do the math right and and there it is um i mean there have been times when we have had surpluses in the past that have been maybe oh, a fifth the sixth of the state budget somewhere in that range right in terms of dollar amount but having it be a third is just unprecedented and 
And what's more is a fairly substantial portion of that, about $12 billion of it, is in the bank. I mean... <laughs> So, so we're not blue skying in terms of, oh, yeah, well, if, if this and if that, and if the economy and if so on and if, 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 if. No, a, a, a big chunk of that is already in the bank. And, that, and so we, we go into a budget year with that. And, you know, in the years I've covered the legislature, we, we've had times when we've had big deficits. I think six, six billion or so was, was, was the, about the, one of the largest that I've, that I've reported on. Uh, and then we've had surpluses, but not of this size. And, you know, there's always a question of which is, is more difficult for lawmakers to deal with. And there are some who say that when you have all that extra money, that it actually makes things more difficult than, <laughs> than, than if you uh, don't have enough money. So you know, that kind of tells you. Well, with all of that money and now one party in control of yes. the House, the Senate, and the governor's mansion, any predictions on what will happen to all of that money? Well, the, the real question, of course, that there's, there's kind of three areas that you can, can use it for. And one is you can use it for spending on programs. Um, and that would be education, health and human services, public safety, um, agriculture. Uh, you know, you just keep on going on the list as well as uh, uh, paying interest on a bonding bill. Um, so th that's one area. The other area is putting it in reserve and the state's budget reserve rainy day fund is topped out, I think, in terms of what the statute requires. So, so you would, you know, there's a question about well, would, you, would you use a little bit more of it and given that there's a prediction of a recession here, although not a terribly severe recession according to the predictions. Um, and the third item is tax cuts or tax relief, uh, let's, let's say of some sort. And, and there are a couple of different kinds of tax relief. One of them is permanent and one of them is one time. Uh, Governor Walls has proposed uh, and proposed it last year and has renewed that this call for what are being termed Walls checks. Um, those would be one-time tax rebates. Um, and um, the Republicans are, <clears throat> excuse me, and they're in quite a, a different position now this legislative session than they were last. <clears throat> excuse me, let me <clears throat> give you an edit point there. <clears throat> They're in quite a different position than this legislative session than they were last uh, because they don't have a majority in either chamber. But they uh, clearly want to see permanent tax relief. Um, and that's going to be a tough thing for them to, to get because there is a tremendous amount of uh, initiative or what should we say, inertia um, on the part of Democrats uh, to... Um, beef up spending in, in certain areas which they term investments, such as education, uh, big area. Uh, and education is a substantial portion of the Minnesota state budget. Um, so big chunk, biggest single chunk. Um, and, uh, and there are other areas as well, um, various human services programs. Um, Attorney General Allison said his job is to make sure that Minnesotans can afford to live here. Uh, and Democrats are kind of taking that up in, the, uh, in their area of programs too. Uh, various things uh, such as uh, 
paid family and medical leave and other assistance for child care uh, programs and, and other things that uh, that they say families need. Um, so th- this is this is a near the twain shall meet situation between the Republicans and the Democrats. But as you mentioned, the Democrats have a majority in the Minnesota Senate and in the Minnesota House. And of course, they uh, have there's a Democrat in the governor's office. Well, so they, the, so, you know, go ahead. Sorry. On the tax relief side, uh, outside of the so-called walls checks, um, I know the Republicans were pushing hard last session when there was no tax bill. And I know it's on their top of their wish list as well this year is to eliminate the state tax on Social Security. Correct. Is there any interest among Democrats in doing that? Yeah, there's a there's a fair amount. Um, it, it appears that something on that is going to get done. Uh, it's it's very interesting because that's an initiative that the Republicans pushed, and the Democrats resisted initially. Now the Democrats have taken it up. However, there seems to be an indication that the Democrats would like to do a total. Um, elimination of state income tax on social security benefits at least there I, I i don't know if there's a majority there but there certainly are some strong signals that they would like to go that route the governor has said i'm basically i'm not going to give tax breaks to rich people um so that's a very interesting juxtaposition is it not that it, is. it, it was the that was the that was the governor's stance against republicans last session and now it's kind of sort of his stance against democrats <laughs> fellow democrats um and yeah, these kind of things the governor usually gets his way um because he has veto power now would he if the legislature were to send him a a total um, uh, repeal of the state income tax on all social security benefits regardless of income could he veto that? Well, that'd be, that'd be pretty tough, I would think. You know, that would have some political consequences. However, the legislature might not send him something that goes quite that far. I mean, he's sending pretty strong signals that he wants a bill that says, okay, that, that we don't let the, the we, we don't give the upper income people tax relief in this particular area, but we give, give the rest. Uh, the rest of the folks tax relief and, and and some people already don't have to pay you, you know above a certain income sure. threshold people don't have to pay uh state income tax on social security benefits so that one i think that one gets done but you know it's a hmm. it's a very interesting political juxtaposition there so on the spending side i imagine i know the governor is about to issue his proposals for education education right which the legislature the leaders have the legislature more or less said we're going to see an unprecedented influx of funding for education in what form? I, I don't think know. So. I would okay. think so. Yeah. But, but uh, then it's a question of, and it's something that you mentioned that we talked about offline is, um, is the issue of permanence of this. Okay. And even beyond that, uh, in other words, you can do a one-time infusion or you can do a permanent increase or the next step beyond that is to tie it to inflation, to index it to inflation which is something that the governor has said that he's going to propose. Uh, and so that opens up a, a, 
another area uh, of debate that might not be quite so partisan. It might cross over more into moderate Democrats. Might might tend to might tend to align against indexing um, education to inflation. Um, you know, Andy, it's this whole issue of putting the budget on autopilot. That is the the people who are opposed to this say if we do this then everything just grows and grows and grows and there's never any scrutiny of it and the other side says well yeah but school districts they're seeing x amount of inflation in terms of all the things that they have to that they have to buy and and that uh that people they have to pay and 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 to do the jobs and so on and so forth um, and so we need to have some sort of some sort of an inflation indexing to that. So you can see, you know, that's a pretty sure uh, that that that's a that's a real contentious area. Some of the other spending areas: health and human services, long-term health care, among them. Right. Uh, right. I know there's a push to greatly increase funding for that because of the crisis. And I, I'm not using that term lightly. The crisis faced by these long-term care providers who have that's right can't find people to work in their facilities because of uh, the level of pay that they're able to offer. And, and that really came home with tremendous force during the pandemic, of course, uh, where you had another factor that was complicating everything, not only in increasing uh, the number of people who were who were going into uh, long-term care facilities in a recovery mode, right? Okay, you know, after being in acute care in, in hospitals, uh, but but then, but, but then, just as this chronic issue of salaries just made that made that even worse. And and another area, of course, is child care. That's uh, that's an area that Democrats have their eyes on as well, um, in improving that particular um, the attractiveness of that particular uh, field of work. Is there any discussion, Bill, on the, a more global scale? Because you, you have your ear to the ground better than anybody I know. Um, when Keith Ellison says, I want to make the state more affordable, well, obviously affordable for a certain group of people by funding programs that would alleviate some of the expenses in their lives. Correct. That bill footed by another portion of the population. Correct. An income uh, transfer, that's right. Yeah, so... The experiences of New York, let's say, um, California is another one, where the state during times of uh, riches, let's say, has greatly increased their programmatic spending and the t- impact on the taxes for those who uh, pay a lot more in taxes than myself or perhaps you. <laughs> uh, a lot of them, yeah. especially in New York, you look at New York, they're leaving. They're just... Yeah. They're bailing out. Right. Uh, is there any discussion up there, I guess, in sure. the state capital of where where that magic line is? Well, and that is a, that is a, an argument that Republicans uh, are primarily bringing up. And traditionally, that has been their objection to this, saying, well, that's fine. You can uh, take from the rich and give to the poor. And at some point, you don't have any rich to produce riches anymore. Uh, and then guess what? <laughs> you don't have anybody to collect taxes from uh and uh, how much sway that 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 has this legislative session um i don't know they're not in the majority uh, the, the only leverage that well i don't want to say the only leverage they have 
but uh, they have leverage on a bonding bill for state uh, public works projects. Uh, and it looks like there's, there's certainly a push to do that because last session, when, which was the session it was supposed to be done, it didn't get done. Um, and uh, uh, so the Republicans have a voice in that because a supermajority is required to pass those bills. Uh, but um, it's then a question of how badly do Democrats want that bonding bill uh, and are they willing to give up some other things in other areas that Republicans might demand in order to get Republican votes to pass a bonding bill? I mean, you know, it's and if they don't, uh, if they don't care about it enough, then it gets thrown under the bus and uh, and they do what they want. Although I think there's a fair amount of there's a fair amount of pressure to to get a bonding bill done. And, um, you know, either that or uh, they don't need if they spend part of the surplus on bonding projects rather than borrow money. So pay cash. They, yeah. Cash for bonding. They don't they don't have, need a supermajority for that. But then, of course, that takes away money from dollar for dollar, right, from some of the investments that Democrats want to make, um, as opposed to highly leveraged amount when you're borrowing money, obviously, you get a big chunk of money for paying a smaller amount of interest, at least in short term, right? You know, uh, and and so that's kind of the trade-off there. It's never very, boring. Very complicated. Very complicated. It's all intertwined. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few months as far as these major issues are concerned. We have to take another quick break. We'll return with a, well, I'm going to ask you about a topic that uh, deals with the Mayo Clinic, let's put it that way. I, I, I know what topic you're talking okay. about. Okay. We'll be back in a moment with Bill Werner from the Minnesota News Network. News Talk 1340, KROC, AM and 96.9 FM. I never write reviews, but Navaj is so amazing. I 96.9 FM, Bill Werner from the Minnesota News Network with us on Rochester today. Um, Bill, last week, the University of Minnesota dropped what I considered a bombshell uh, when they announced plans yes. to construct a you know, billion-dollar-plus state-of-the-art medical center on the East Bank of the UMM campus in Minneapolis. And all I could think when the announcement was being made is, whoa, what impact will this have on the Mayo Clinic? It's, it's an interesting uh, circumstance, isn't it? Um, now, Mayo is clearly operates well outside the Minnesota market. I mean, without a, without a, I mean right. that's an international institution. No question about that. But um, if, in fact, um, for uh, certain categories of surgery that are certain categories of medical care that don't require Mayo Clinic, if um, an entity, i.e. the University of Minnesota, could tap an immediate market, a right-next-door market, a very large market, um, what kind of impact would that have on, on Mayo Clinic in terms, terms of the business? I, I mean, I... I'm not an MBA, so I can't can't answer that. But I, I think there certainly is a question there, and it's it's a significant uh, development that that the uh, uh, the Sanford CEO said yes, you can university be an option for the university to buy this uh, the, their teaching hospital, uh, the current existing hospital uh, in Minneapolis um, on the East Bank. Uh, and a few days later, the University of Minnesota, the president and other top uh, university leaders said, oh, yeah, we want to do that. And by the way, we want to build a billion dollar, at least a billion dollar facility, a, a brand new state of the art facility. So there the whole thing has 
ratcheted up even even beyond a merger. <laughs> you know, it's it's really and some of this is preemptive uh, preemptive strikes too on the part of the University of Minnesota. There's no question about that proposal is a attempted preemptive strike. What kind of response is that getting in St. Paul from the governor and lawmakers? Hasn't gotten much yet. The governor, the governor said at the point when it came out that he was was vetting it. Uh, obviously, it would be something that they would be be very interested in. Hasn't had any sort of legislative overtures yet, but I think we can expect that at the appropriate times. Um, how would that be done? Would that be done vis-a-vis a bonding bill? Would it be done vis-a-vis that or and or legislative appropriations? Uh, but it's it's clearly a. Uh, and in my humble opinion, and it may be the incorrect opinion, but it's a preemptive strike to, to try to get the university in a much uh, better bargaining position uh, as uh, the wrangling continues over uh, over the San, proposed Sanford uh, and Fairview merger. And the university, of course, has has ties to strong ties to to Fairview, and, and Fairview owns their owns their teaching hospital. And I can see that being a benefit for the U of M. To combine with Sanborn is a, to increase its feeder system, let's put it that way, for perhaps more complicated medical procedures or conditions. It's a, it's a question of, yeah, that for, for that and for, for Fairview's aspect, too. The question is, do they retain control? Um, that is one of the issues that has, has been brought up pro- almost more prominently than any is that the University of Minnesota's teaching hospital on the East Bank uh, is um, an asset uh, which the taxpayers of Minnesota own, and and the opponents of the merger say this is then an asset that will be would be uh, controlled by a corporation based in South or a company I should say a nonprofit ba- based in uh, not for profit based in South Dakota. Um, and, of course, if the university bought back that hospital, then that wouldn't be an issue. But it's not quite as simple as just buying back the buildings. Yeah. Sure. So, that's, so, so the, hence, it gets to be complicated. Well, excellent. Well, another thing to keep tabs on is... That's right. A series, <laughs> a series of hearings. Another one tonight uh, in Bemidji. And then uh, Attorney General Ellison is going to have, have, have another, um, a couple more uh, in, in coming weeks as well uh, in greater Minnesota. Well, Bill, uh, we are out of time, unfortunately. We could go on and on and on, but... Uh, yes, we could. I look, lot, for, lot. I look forward to connecting with you again a little bit later in the session to see where some of the, some of the things we've been talking about today uh, are said at that point. So thank you very, very much. Good. Very good. Always good to be with you, and we'll talk soon. All right. Bill Werner with the Minnesota News Network. I'm Andy Brownell on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM.